Greetings. Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic, cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the questions. Thank you for listening this week. If you like what you're hearing or enjoy the show, please share it with a friend and say positive things about us on social media. If you haven't yet given us a five-star rating or review, please do that. The mystical... Uh, inscrutable algorithms that Apple and Google podcasts use to uh, recommend podcasts. Um, they benefit podcasts that have high ratings and reviews. So go ahead and give that to us. Uh, follow us on Twitter at, at clergy late and join our Facebook discussion group. I'm Kirk Haberman, a church musician, and this is my brother, Chris, a newly shorn priest. Hey Indeed. Chris, how are you? Uh I'm great, Kirk. As you can see, I went to the sheep shearer and got shorn. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I I thought you went to the human shearer. That would be odd for you to go to the. Uh, I went shearer. to Alan Shearer. Nobody <laughs> finishes like Alan Shearer. There are inside jokes. Then there are inside inside jokes. And then there's what you just said. <laughs> um. Hi, Kirk. Uh, it's fall is here. There's a chill in the air. Uh. We went to a football game, not just any football game on Saturday, but um, the University of Sioux Falls versus Augustana, a Division II rivalry uh, of uh, between two schools that are two blocks apart here in Sioux Falls. That was wonderful. Uh, of course, that was the chill wasn't in the air that day. It was quite hot in the sun. Uh, but uh, you know, here so am when I complaining. Two South Dakota colleges play each other. Can we call it like the Corn Bowl? Sure, or the Buffalo <laughs> Buff, Buffalo Bowl. Buffalo Bowl. Uh, South Dakota State actually has a game they call the Beef Bowl. Nice. Sponsored by South Dakota Beef. Le lean into the uh, to the agribusiness, huh? I mean, you, you dance don't need with to the lean one in. that brought you. Yeah, there's it's <laughs> ag is who we are, man. Yeah. Ag and banking and healthcare. Uh, Kirk, how are you? Uh, I'm I'm great. I'm great. I I too uh, had had a weekend uh, full of football. I uh, I was I was a band chaperone uh, to a football game between two school districts on Friday night. The one uh, I I was I was merely dad for the band marching band that uh, for the district in which I live and in in which my children go to school. Um, but we were at the district where I teach. Um, which is a, uh, a a a two or three time I'm starting to lose count state champion and a, and a, like a complete juggernaut in a dynasty that regularly destroys everyone else by forty or fifty points, um, and so like our our, our local boys uh, got 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 routed by the boys that I teach, okay. <laughs> so that was kind of that was that was fun all around. Um, yeah. Okay. So which which of the bands won the the band? 
Uh, and... so I suppose there's no need for me to be coy. I, I, I don't have like an alternate identity. So I teach at Central Valley. I live in Black Hawk and, um, and Central Valley's football team is much, 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 much better. And the band is also amazing too. Mm. So though, uh, Black Hawk, our local band has a, has a re really young, engaging by young. I mean, people routinely mistake him for a student, a young and engaging marching band director. Um, he's and great. An Everybody excellent, loves him. at least one excellent trombonist. Yeah, uh, baritonist. You're referring to your I nephew. I thought he picked up the trombone this he year did for jazz band, oh, for marching right. band. That's he still right, marches the with, uh, with the marching baritone. Baritone, which uh, I guess a marching baritone looks like a giant trumpet, right? Uh, yeah. Or is that, is yeah, that called it something looks else? Like, and, and it looks like a, a bit like a mellophone as well, which is a marching French horn, basically, which is what Simon will end up marching with as well. Yeah, it's it's not the same. <laughs> Yeah, it looks goofy. Um, but yeah, that's what he marches with. But it was, I I had, so several, it, was a, it was a great night and it was just funny. So to the, my son is, my oldest son who's in marching band is just a freshman, right? So bottom of the totem pole, he's not like a section leader or uh, yet. Hasn't, hasn't like yet. That's right. Hasn't made his mark. Um, so I'm just a guy. I'm just, when I'm chaperoning, I'm just, uh, I'm just a dad. And so like, I'm helping like pushing xylophones onto the field, like quickly for the show or setting up, um, you know, a stand for the drum major or something like this. Like I'm just doing band dad stuff, you know? And suddenly from the stands, uh, comes screaming, Mr. Haberman by dozens of students and former students who are like people from the central Valley marching band will, will come out to rush me and give me hugs. And I got these great, glorious, uncomprehending looks from Blackhawk band members who are like looking at me like, who are you? It's <laughs> because a big I, deal just, over at Central Valley. I'm just Valley. like a schlub, you know, like I like a 40 something dad, you know, I'm nobody, right? And then, you know, I'm I'm like like ex-teacher, you know, everyone loves their their former teachers, right? And so it was that that was amusing. Um I also got in a shouting match with a, a band manager. That was funny. Should I tell that story? I should tell that story. I can't bring it up without telling that story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got to hear about the shouting matches. Like when you accost somebody, you have to explain. So band managers are seventh and eighth graders that are that are talented and they're going to be in the marching band, but they're not yet eligible. So they like help with stuff. And by help, eligible. you mean like- Boy, like how many years eligible? Like is well, this the so nine year? marching brand- Marching brand. Marching band is nine through twelve. So I'm making I'm making like a college eligibility joke. Don't just that's right. forget that's right. about it. Okay. They missed the transfer portal. And yes. so they're yeah. waiting. They're waiting until the spring. Right. So uh my son Simon is one of the band managers. And then there's this other kid who's a who's a great musician, uh, and a curious personality. Um, and it was a it was a cold night, and he was like oddly huddled in his in his green hoodie our, our our colors are green and gold which like i i can't handle i can't stand because that's, they're green that's green disgusting colors. that's gross it's, it's revolting having to watch my children walk around in that garbage but Ugh. anyhow so he's like huddled in his green hoodie um beside in the middle like at the beginning of the third quarter and it was central valley homecoming so uh so the homecoming candidates had been kind of coming back and forth by the stands and i i i'd known all of them saying hi to all of them uh well, one of them notices this this kid and she gets like a wicked glint in her eye. And I can tell like, oh, what is happening? She And she like marches up to him and, and extends. I'm like, what does she have in her hand? She extends to him a half-eaten hot dog. 
And by half-eaten hot dog, I don't mean like, like the bun and the hot dog. I mean just the hot dog, right? It's for some reason in my head like it would be less gross if it was like still like in the in the bun. Sure. Yeah. But no, it's just like a half-eaten hot dog. And she's like, "Could you could you throw this away for me?" <laughs> and I'm like, "I thought this was Simon. I didn't realize this was the other band manager." I'm like, "Simon, do not touch that." And then I, I said her name. I'm like, "Bleep!" I'm like. Stop it. Do not make this young man do this. I don't know why you're doing this. Walk away. And she looks at me, grins and hands it to him. And I keep, I, I think this is at this moment, I, I'm, I'm mistaken. I think this is Simon that's taking it. And, uh, and, and this kid reaches out and grabs the hot dog. I'm like, ah, don't take that hot dog. Like, <clears throat> and he throws it away. Uh, and, and she grins up at me and, and marches off. And he turns around and looks at me and I realize, oh, this isn't Simon. This is this other kid. And he looks at me. He's like, don't yell at me, old man. I still have some pride. <laughs> I'm like, I like, no, really? You don't. No, I'm like, yeah, no, you don't. Yeah. No, you don't. You just took half eaten food, like a hot dog from this girl that you don't know and threw it away when she was clearly like seeing if she could make you do this humiliating thing. And he looked at me. And in the meantime, the assistant marching band director for Blackhawk is standing right beside me. And she has this look on her face. She's like the gif of um, Michael GIF. Jackson. It's a gif. That too. Yeah. Like the gif of Michael Jackson, like eating popcorn. Like she's like, I can't Loving this. I'm watching like, this. You're, you're, you're yelling at a kid thinking it's your own. <laughs> yeah. And then he turns around not. and yells at He's me. He's defending himself. And at that point, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, no. And so I, like, I'm getting an argument with him about like what pride and dignity actually is. So that was my weekend. That was my Friday. So, so yeah. there we go. Kirk, I, I made a realization about uh band. Uh, like the band standards, like there's some band standards that are like, oh, I like the song and the band does an okay rendition of it. There's one song that bands do that I can think of. There's probably many, but where the song is actually terrible, but when the band does it, it's it's kind of fun. The Hey song? Nope, nope, nope. But I, it's um, Hey Baby, Won't You Be My Girl? Oh, okay. Have you actually heard that song? Mm-hmm. Not a good song. Right. But when the band does it, it's kind of fun. Yeah. Hey, yes. baby. Yes. I want to know. I would say Seven Nation Army is like that too. Like sure. it's just another okay. 70s song. Okay. All but right. Then when I... you hear like a big brass section play it, it's like really cool. That's true. Actually, I, probably most songs that bands play <laughs> are better than, you know, than, than the original. But uh, I was just Kirk, worried. I, I just... go ahead. Jinx, jinx again. We finished each other's sandwiches. Uh, I w- I was just worried, frankly, that Simon was going to get leprosy from that stupid hot dog. That was my only concern. Speaking of lepers, our gospel reading comes from Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, 
he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kirk, I was I had a transition in my pocket that, oh. that I was going to use, but it wasn't as good as yours. Um, <laughs> what I was going to say was that uh, one of the features that I was surprised, I was blown away that this Division II inner city matchup uh, featured a flyover following the Star Spangled Banner. That is really cool. <laughs> uh, and I was like, I was like, wait, and not what? like a biplane or anything like a real jet. <laughs> I mean, we have the air national guard here. So like we got like legit fighter jets, um, that were timed perfectly, which is like a cool, that is cool how cool. they sync up that like the band you had feel to it in the... your chest too. Like, it is Oh awesome. my gosh. <laughs> yeah. And I was going to say, speaking of flowers, we're going to do a flyover cover, uh, yes. coverage of this gospel reading. Cause we don't have a lot of time today. Yep. Um, and no one will complain. Um, <laughs> So, uh, Kirk, uh, this is a, you know, if we're going to do a flyover of any gospel, this is one because we've covered some really difficult ones, Kirk. This one. Pretty straightforward. It's pretty straightforward. It says what um, it says. Yeah. Unlike the last several, <laughs> which were onions. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I guess the preliminary uh, information that's important, that's really hard for us to fathom is, is um, the Jews were not motivated by racism. OK, they didn't hate the Samaritans because of racism, but they, of course, had a different covenant um, the, the they were charged with. Um, it wasn't ethnic purity in the sense of like white nationalists think of it. Right. Um, like they, they were called to not intermarry with Gentiles, uh, mostly to protect like because the right. covenant was open to outsiders, right. but but to protect the purity of the message, really, to like not get distracted by foreign gods. It was more about worship than about anything else. And and it was very clear that intermarriage had destroyed the had brought the whole thing down once. You can't help yeah. but be moved um, in Ezra and Nehemiah um, at the moment when the foreign wives are just sent packing, and they're like, "We have to start over again and keep this thing pure." Yeah. Yeah, so this isn't like white nationalism. Not that Jews are white, but like the the, the idea of like pure. I didn't like like if you're just gonna like set off like, various internet squabbles. <clears throat> yeah, okay, go ahead, keep going. I mean, it's it's just the whole like color thing is is, right. is kind of dumb. We we you know we should talk about like race sometime because like yeah, um, I think we have very stupid views on it. Uh, yes, yes, so, suffice to say. and and views that would be unrecognizable to anyone in the new testament sure which yeah. is part of what you're saying so go on yeah 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 and and so it's not like oh well these people were racist it was that they were like the 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 barrier between jews and samaritans was uh not it was two-part it was 
the the fact that they were these mixed breeds of people who intermarried with Gentiles and then sort of chose Gentile gods, but they were also religious syncretists. Yes. Like that that their their practice of the Jewish faith was one where they didn't do temple worship, that they worship worshiped on different mountains. Yeah. yeah. And and um th- those were the barriers. And the, the 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 temple worship, like the whole temple cult and like the size of the temple was all to the, the law was to declare um the bigness and the greatness of God. And um while also like that covenant was uh welcoming to others, like you could join this covenant that God had made with his people, while even while like that covenant was one that always pointed to um, you know to Jesus coming out of it from the city of David and, and being the savior for the whole world. Um, and so I, I think that's an important thing. And, and we don't have like a good modern analog for a Samaritan. Part of that is, is like we live in a multicultural society, so we can't just, we're from not, mono, we're not monocultural. Yeah. From, from a Christian standpoint, wouldn't it be like Mormons? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like Mormons, like these, uh, like, but the, then also, like, yeah. Same, like people, same, but different and different in a sad and grievous way. Yeah, that, that's a good, that's a good example. Um, but I was even in a text thread among, uh, with pastors t- trying to find a good, and, and that one kind of came to mind trying to find a good analog, but like in a sermon, you might not say that because like, there's a certain amount of generosity that we, we don't want to be like, like let's go from oh. Iowa. <laughs> like, yeah, we might joke there, about not that. quite. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but like, from the pulpit, you don't you don't want to. Um, while it's true that that Mormons are misled, um, it, it's it's just hard to say. Yeah, we all agree that they're just it. It's their pastoral issues with with saying that from sure, the pulpit. Sure, so, sure. Um, you you and I could say that, but um, okay. So uh, also the Jewish culture of that time, uh, the way they dealt with lepers, they were not only ritually unclean, like. They, they were, were carrying disease. Danger. Yeah, yeah, they were physical danger. So, like, they had to um, be on the outskirts of town and, in fact, announce their presence to say, like, so it, it may have been, I don't know, like, the exact custom, but, like, they may have been like, hey, stay away from us. We're the lepers. Like, you know, they would have been uh, very much on the, <laughs> literally on the outside, right? right? Mm-hmm. Um, on the outside of, the, of town. Uh, and, of course, this whole show yourself to the priest thing is uh, that's how you got to re-enter society is you'd show yourself to the priest. And, and if you were in fact healed, um, then uh, like you'd do some ritual cleansing and then you could return to society, but not before, like you had to get the priest's approval to re-enter society that you were ostracized and you were not allowed back in. And uh, so there's something to their faith of looking at Jesus and saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. They knew who he was and the power that he possessed. And there is some level of, of faith response where he says, go and show yourselves to the priests of like, yeah, maybe there would have been a periodic checkup. I've, I've heard some interpreters say, well, that's not so gr- amazing that they went and did this. But but uh, many, many interpreters point out that the 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 active faith component of them saying we are trusting you jesus you say go show yourself we know you have the power to heal and we are responding in this way and it it, it was you know jesus oftentimes heals by touching right 
uh you know it's we got some some kind of gross spittle, ways like mud. spits yeah, yeah. spits <laughs> spits um you know spits in the mud rubs mud in the eyes um in this case no like they're walking away from him and as they kind of respond in faith they were cleansed yeah and i i, I don't know that we need to make a big deal out of although jesus does out of their lack of gratitude because jesus did tell them to go to the priest like he didn't say yeah. you know show your gratitude first um but he is making a big point here um that these old barriers that we had kind of put up between jews and samaritans not we i guess they um that, that the whole way to to holiness that the all the old categories are now being thrown out that um that 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 we have this new covenant, a new and a better covenant where we will be giving a new heart, uh, as we read in uh, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. And uh, th that it's it's actually interesting that in the early church, yeah, you know, Paul went first to the Jews, but then to the Gentiles. And as and in fact, it was kind of a surprise that Gentiles to, to many that Gentiles were even allowed in, you know, it's like. The thought, the thought was like, well, they have to become Jews first, right? And you know that was the Jerusalem Council in in Acts fifteen. Uh, they had to kind of figure this out along the way of like, what does this good news in Jesus Christ mean for Gentiles? Um, but initially, the message went out to Jews, but Jews after a while became less receptive, uh, and, and th that's kind of. We're, we're seeing that here is this kind of mind-blowing idea that even Samaritans, even these people who in the past had been considered sinners, that Jesus dined um, with uh, tax collectors and sinners, that Jesus uh, had, uh, broke all sorts of ceremonial laws by um, talking to the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 2. I believe that's chapter 2 or is it chapter 4? I always mix those up. Um, I think it's John 4. John 4 that, that uh, yeah, because... John two would be um, wedding the miracle, at Cana. miracle at Cana, yeah. Yep. Um, that that uh, th that would have been mind-boggling that Jesus would have not only encountered and talked to that like in, engaged in conversation with a Samaritan woman, uh, he would have violated all sorts of um, laws that were built around the law, not actual laws, but the fence around the law we've talked about before. Um, but she also was a sinner, a notorious sinner. Like it was known that she was like living with a guy um, who was not her husband and like had been with other men as well. And, uh, and yet she is like raised up as, as uh, you know, you know, many of us look at her as the first missionary that Jesus chose her hmm. um, and she responded in faith and was like, what did she do? She went back to her village and told everyone yeah. about Jesus. Um and, and this is amazing. We talk about this great Lucan theme, Kirk, of this, this um, flipping, like this sociological flip, right? That God has um, exalted the lowly and yeah. has cast down those who are high up and has welcomed in even Samaritans. So that I'm going to stop. T tell me your thoughts. Yeah, it. It seems like it's a synecdoche, synecdoche, that's always such a hard word for me to say, of um, God's redemptive plan 
um, mm, and the yes. global scale, right? So um, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Right. So you, you see St. Paul speculates about this uh, in the second half of Romans, um, that that as kind of the God's call um, to redemption expands to the Gentiles. Um, uh, and I, so I wonder if this is a parable of the expansion of 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 forgiveness of sins, of healing. Right. To 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 beyond the 12 tribes, um, because that is what's happening here. Right. It's. It's uh, some are healed, but the one, but the one that gives gratitude and gives praise to God is, is a Gentile. Um, so I wonder, I wonder if there are fathers that looked at this and saw a parable, um, but 10, 10 isn't a biblical number. So I, I wonder if uh, numerologically, if they would have um, been able to find any significance there. Yeah, but it's pretty straightforward, right? Um, uh, we, we see uh, Jesus uh, notes and lodge gratitude um a, a posture of gratitude and praise for salvation and this is interesting right we are entering a both a secular and a liturgical uh month in a month of, of thanksgiving right <laughs> and so when we when we kind of hold up and, and and think about and try to adopt a posture of gratitude right um in in november and uh this is this is part of the sanctifying work of the holy spirit right that our gratitude does not come naturally Right, uh, the first words out of human mouths are like "no" and "mine," and so, and and they have to be taught to say "thank you," and "please" and "may I," and um, and so gratitude here is lauded, and so I, I think that that lesson is is pretty straightforward, right? We we ought to pray um, that we have grateful hearts and recognize um, the great gift of salvation um, in us, and that that we would alongside this foreigner um, uh, praise God with a loud voice and fall at Jesus' feet. So I think it's pretty straightforward. I think that's that's the message. It's interesting, Christopher. I oftentimes, um, when I'm looking at uh, next Sunday's gospel, I will pull out from our great aunt Joyce uh, Wesley's notes in the New Testament, and on Luke chapter 17, uh, John Wesley um, has notes on the previous pericope, um, and he has notes on the subsequent pericope, but no notes on 11 through 19 which I take to mean not that it wasn't important because it is the gospel according to St. Luke, but just that it needed no extra teaching or notation. It speaks for itself. So that's what I think. Kirk, shall we move on to our culture segment? Let's. Today we are discussing vengeance, not the not the idea or the action, <laughs> but the 2022 uh, film written and directed by B.J. Novak, uh, as a movie that I don't even know how why the release was in theaters. Um, I guess it made 1.8 million over its opening weekend. Uh, I yeah, would imagine most pe- it was not on many people's radars, Kirk, but. 
not only is the screenplay one of my favorites, uh, not only this year, but in recent years, but um, the, the movie itself as a as a directorial debut of B.J. Novak, who many people might know as Ryan Howard from The Office. Uh, Kirk, this this movie was excellent. And yes. I, I know we don't have a long time. It's kind of a shame. We could, I've, you know, I could probably talk about this for hours. Mm. Um, but uh, let's start with a uh, spoiler-free uh, discussion. Just yeah, there's going to be two parts because there, there's, there, there's a, an event we need to discuss, but we don't want to ruin it for those of you that want to watch the movie. So yeah. spoiler-free starts now. Up, Kirk, one of the major themes that we see in this movie is the theme of tribalism. That B.J. Novak plays this, uh, uh, <laughs> this, this pretty. Uh, shallow writer from new york who um really wants something deeper like he he, he works the new yorker kirk that's right and yet he wants that's a like funny a, stick too because people keep right. saying like uh, new york magazine ben, ben from new york magazine and he's like ah oh, the new yorker, new yorker. yeah <laughs> yeah and uh he he wants something more he has it so he at, at in the first few minutes he starts to pitch a podcast which I, I mean, it's it's kind of funny for us to make fun of him <laughs> wanting a podcast as we, we keep watching stuff about podcasts. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, um, he says, "I figured it out. Figured out what? America. Okay, I know you're laughing, but I have a pitch. You're re- you're really gonna like. America is divided, but it's not for the reason that we think. We think that America is divided by geography, red state, blue state, city, country." We're missing something far more profound. America isn't divided by space. America is divided by time. We don't live in the moment anymore. And why would we when we can live in any moment that's ever been recorded? And he goes on to talk about we don't watch movies in the theater. We don't watch TV when it airs. Um, Text conversations like are not in the moment. Right. Uh, And he says, uh, you you may say hi back or never because you're too busy busy, uh, producing the biggest podcast in America. Uh, which is kind of my point because we're all living in our own individualized times. That's why we're living in divided times. And the the person he's pitching to says, that's, Ooh, I like that. You like that? Yeah. So what do you think? Do you think that's a story? She says, it's a theory. A theory is a story. No, a theory is not a story. Yes, it is. When it's about an idea and America is an idea. That's what makes it so great. Um, and then she sit, responds, hey, not every white guy in New York needs to have a podcast. Mm. And he goes on to say, you have a verified <laughs> check mark, like all the things that you one in New York might take pride in, like Twitter verified check mark. Uh, you got the New York position. And he says, I want something more. I don't want to just be a writer. I want to be a voice. As dorky as it sounds, I care about America. And um, she says... Anyway, I can't read the entire script. The, the script is brilliant. Um, yes. He thinks he's got this idea, this pitch for a podcast, and she's like, no, "That's that's that's not a that's not a script, or that's that's not a pitch for that's not a podcast." He wants to tell stories, Kirk, and so um, he is is part of casual hookup culture, and um, hooked up with a, one girl, Abby Shaw, Abby Shaw short for Abilene and he gets a call from her from her family saying she's dead and he ends up flying there for an apparent drug overdose yeah why don't you step in and, and help us with I'm sorry I'm sorry nope I, I don't no. mean to step on you ah okay well you will you take a step in take, take a sip of your uh 
your your coffee there. Yeah, no, he just gets a, gets a call from a guy from Texas. His name is Ty, informing him that his girlfriend, Abby Shaw, who from Ben's perspective was just like a, a hookup once or twice, that she's died of a, an apparent drug overdose. And, and the brother, Abby's brother, Ty, is really insistent. Um, since you're the boyfriend, you know, that you fly to Texas and attend the funeral and meet the family, right? Um, and so, and this family actually plays a really important role. Um, you got Ty, the brother, you got mom, you got two sisters, and their names are Paris and Kansas City, and a younger brother known as El Stupido. Do we ever actually learn his real name? And we Grammy. do. I don't remember what it is, but we learn his name because it's like kind of dehumanizing. And BJ Novak kind of points that out. They're yeah. like, like his, he's got an he's got a name at the end. Like he calls him by the name and, and the brother's like, who's that? He's like, your brother. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so there, there's, there's a, there's a meal um, when he arrives and, and we can talk about that if you want, but after the meal, um, Ty okay, is driving let's, him let's in a pickup truck. Let's, let's and, talk about this. Let's just stop. Like Ben goes with like a smirk on his face. Yes. Like, ha ha. I am going to go look at these rooms. Yep. These, idiots who live in texas and um maybe there's a story there i guess i don't know if that's i don't remember but like yeah he has a smirk on his face like it's very condescending yeah and uh go on so so um and he thinks it's even funnier when when ty says listen we got to figure out what actually happened um because they're selling this thing as a drug overdose and you and i both know what was that? What's the line they keep saying? She never even took Tylenol, or she never took. She never a even took a something or an Advil, aspirin, Advil, or yeah, yeah. And that, and and that that several people say that, right? Yeah. Um. And, Overdose, and at that like point, yeah. Ben realizes like this is the podcast. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pretend to, I'm gonna go along, ride alongside yep. Ty, pretend to solve this murder, and in reality, be recording. All these like rooms in, deni- in, in denial, denial about yeah. like there's opioid crisis and like everyone's in denial and they don't even realize that they're killing themselves and just this very condescending like a uh, voyeuristic um, right. project of of like telling the story without even caring about the people saying like look at these idiots who think their sister um, was killed when in fact it was like their own thing right yeah. That's exactly right. And so then he begins the the editor back in New York. He continues to send um, recordings. She loves it. It's great. It's great. This is gold. This is gold. Um, uh, but he uh, he has some meaningful conversations with the family, and you know discovers um, that there's there, there's a little more depth there than just kind of rubes from from Texas, right? He begins to suspect that uh, there may be something more than just a drug overdose, that there may be foul play or a conspiracy at foot. And uh, the podcast takes a turn and he kind of wants to make it about that, though the editor back in New York um, kind of is in the dark uh, in that regard. And uh, and at that point, that's kind of when the movie picks up speed, Christopher. Right. Yeah. The initial pitch is just, um, I mean, I want Kirk, I love the screenplay. I don't want to read too much of it. Right. But, um, here's uh, first of all, his editor. I love this. She trolls him. Um, <laughs> that that like for the second time he's pitching the podcast. Uh, not. I'm sorry. He pitches a podcast at the beginning that she's like, "That's not a podcast. Like you're just this 
clueless kind of aimless writer um, dedicated to hookup culture. Just be happy with who you are. You have a good job at the New Yorker. You have a, you're Twitter verified. Um, that's good enough. But from Texas, after the funeral, he listens to the brother talk about how like this was actually murder. And he calls her and he's trying to explain. He's like, I have a story. She's like, what? Can I wait? He's like, no, I'm here in Texas. Um, she's like, Texas, why? And he's like, it's, it's a weird ex explanation of like, well, I'm here for a funeral. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. He's like, that's okay. I didn't know her well. She's like, and you know, his editor is like, what? Like, then why are you there? Oh, what? <laughs> it, it's, it's all very funny. Yes. Um, and uh, he's like, this is a story. I've got a story. Um, and he's like, and she's like, well, what's the story? Um, and she trolls him a little bit. Uh, he's like, it's dating. It's hookup culture, how it enables disconnectedness. And so she starts responding, uh, the selfishness. And she's like, and he's like, no, the emptiness. He's like, no, the hollowness. He's like, that's not what I meant. The lack of self-awareness. And finally he's like, okay, that's not what I'm pitching. <laughs> it's really sad. Um, it's it's really how sad your life is. Um, because you know, he's got these girls in his phone listed as like maybe first name, color of hair, right? Um, and With he has punctuation, town, like the city where like what was her what was she? Was she like Texas girl or I think she was only in his phone as, as Texas. Texas. Texas, yeah. yeah. Like um, so it so that at midnight or two AM he could text uh the person and and have know something about them like this the girl that um comes by his apartment in the opening scene is a girl um it was like blonde random house and the joke is like was did you meet her at a random house the publisher party or a just random party at a house and uh so he look he she walks in and he doesn't know what he, she looks like all he knows is how she's saved in the phone um she walks in he looks at her she's not blonde he's like oh you changed your hair and she's like you noticed oh like this so shallow kirk right mm -hmm. um and then he asks her how's the publishing world and she's like what he's like never mind um and so anyway, he, he pitches uh the podcast and, and and at first before he thinks there's something more he's like he describes it as this new American reality that people can't accept. So instead they invent these myths and conspiracies so they can cast themselves as heroes because the truth is too hard to accept. That the death of Abilene is the death of the American identity and they need to find somebody to blame for it. It's not just the story about vengeance. It's about this, the need for vengeance. And all the publisher, all the editor hears is dead white girl. Holy grail of podcasts. Like people will listen to this and it's so disconnected from actually caring for the dead girl. Right. It's just a story. And yeah. it, 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 this, this is just a, like, I think a skewering of, of even, even the whole genre of podcasts of, of kind of true crime uh, podcasts. Uh, but, but he starts to believe, like you said, that there is actually a, uh, a, deeper conspiracy going on. So I'm sorry. I, I interrupted and, and filled in a bunch of stuff. Tell us about that, Kirk. What's the conspiracy? What's the deeper conspiracy? Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe this is what we should talk about. Right. So, uh, it's a movie about a bunch of things, but one of the things it's about is the opioid, opioid crisis mm -hmm. in America. Right. And, and particularly in certain parts of America. Right. Um, you know, yeah, Eastern Kentucky, West Texas, uh, Southern Ohio, 
Western Pennsylvania, right where I live. And um, Kirk, you and I, we look at each other and we shake our heads and we're like, we say, that's too bad. Uh, and in this particular movie, we have each uh, of the um, law enforcement agencies just being like, it's not my jurisdiction. Right. Um, but uh, all the way from local, all the way up to federal, like it's yeah. like this, this, these overdose deaths are occurring in between them. And so each of them shrug and blame someone else. Yeah. No one's taking responsibility. Overlapping jurisdictions uh, if we want later, because that does play a role. Um, but, but so is it, is it, what, what is the movie saying? Right. Because we have some ambivalence in America about this. Um, is it, is it a movie about uh, opioid overdose and the tragedy of that, or that um, opioid, opioid overdoses isn't actually what's happening, but humans are being caught in the meat grinder of something bigger, right? Big pharmacy, uh, malevolent government policy, um, uh, kind of uh, the industrial heartland of America being left behind by um, free trade um, and, and, and heartless politicians who aren't, aren't doing anything about that. Uh, is is there some sort of like weird reverse racism that that doesn't care when it's white drug overdoses um, that we like and, the voyeuristic aspect of like right. listening to the true crime podcast? But do we really care about everyone the likes the crisis? dead white girl, right? Yeah. Um, so, and I I love that the movie has the same ambivalence about this as we do, right? How simple is it? Is it as simple as a girl OD'd, or is there something else happening, right? Um, and so that's kind of. That ambivalence reflects, I think, our ambivalence. Um, and I'll just say here as well, uh, I think the movie the movie ends up, you and I talked about this before we, we hit record. The movie ends up, I think, which is funny, right? For Hollywood, right? So kind of blue America um, trying to get over, trying to suppress its gag reflex and sympathize with red America um, really is super, I think, really sympathetic. Uh, about the drug culture and um and 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 that i think it makes the statement that if these are humans who are victims um and I, I said to you i think so i live i live actually i call you and i on this show we call this a shire in real life i call it the shire um i really in one aspect live in pleasantville uh small town america i am 45 minutes from pittsburgh uh, but yet i'm in an adjoining county Right. So I'm not in Allegheny County. I'm in the exurbs, as we like to say. Um, but like there are cornfields a couple of miles from my house. Right, Christopher. And um, it, it, I'm, I'm, I'm minutes away from beautiful rural America. And um, and yet uh, the opioid crisis is right in my backyard every year at the beginning of the year. I have trainings um, what to do if someone is overdosed on heroin or fentanyl or something. And it's really spooky, the training that I have. Um, I'm told not to touch or help. You know why? Mere contact with fentanyl could kill me, right? So I have to have training on this stuff. Now, in my social circles, this is the, the sad thing about neighborhoods, right? And you and I talked about this as well. In my social circles, I just never encounter this. But it, I mean, it's, you know, potentially blocks away from me. Yeah. Um, houses away from me. It's it's here, right? Um, well, and, and you're you're pointing at something even deeper of just like systemic stuff because like you live on what we call the Piedmont, uh, which mm -hmm. is it's it's not yes. it's it's blocks away, but it, it might as well be a thousand miles away. Mm -hmm. That you are in the Shire, literally above all of this stuff. That that's right. Um, you descend just um, a few hundred feet and go 
maybe half a mile to the east and you're you're in the the middle of of crisis territory down in the river town yep Ab- absolutely right and and so um i actually have a have a a very different take than i think a lot of these um, chin stroking think pieces in the New Yorker and 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 this very sympathetic movie here, which is like, stop taking drugs, stop taking drugs. The only thing th- this is no one else's fault, no one else's fault. You're ripping apart your family. You're ripping apart our community. Um, there's zero complexity to this. Stop, mm-hmm. stop now. It's no one else's fault. For the love of God, like you have children, you have a wife. Stop, stop, stop now. <laughs> Um, and so I, I think, yeah, I feel like the white Bill Cosby, right? Um, you know, famously in the 90s, not not for other reasons, famously in the oh 90s. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Bill Cosby would kind Can of do cut these that, college- Cut that, cut that, cut <laughs> that. Would do these college graduations where he would he would kind of say, um, uh, like- um, Stop making go excuses. To school, go, yeah. yeah, right. Go to school, marry your girlfriend, marry the father of your child. Um, get your degree, get a job, show up to work every day at 8 a.m. Um, don't get high and uh, become a man, right? And this was a very controversial thing. I, I like, I, I kind of feel like I want to say that. So, um, in the end, uh, um, this these drugs that you see in the movie, like, yeah, this community is being gutted out and it's on the edge of nowhere and it's going nowhere, um, and they hate it but they love it. Um, stop taking drugs. So that's kind of my take on the ambivalence in the movie. It's actually more sympathetic to red America than I am, even though mm. I'm in the heart of it. Right. But even you, Kirk, I know that, that like, as much as we may um, stroke our chins and um, try to come up with uh, kind of societal things that um, can help assist those who are hurting because it's those people who are hurting uh, whether it's economically or um, socially uh, and I guess we're putting uh, fancy names of economically people who ha- uh, experience joblessness, right. poverty, like generational poverty, hopelessness. Um, and many of this hopelessness comes not just from generational poverty, but um, we talk about um, generational sin too, Kirk. Right. In, in Christianity, this idea like generational poverty comes from the broken generational sin. sin. Yeah, of just uh, just the breakup of the family. Um, and these things are like cannot just be like. The, undone like with the snap of a finger painkillers this painkiller addiction is also all tied up with the abuse of um disability insurance sure so um yeah we talk about a labor crisis uh, we got a lot of 45 year old men uh that have disability insurance that are quite capable of i like i i mean i i see them at football games they haven't worked in 10 years um, but they're cheering and they're like, they can stand. I, I don't mm. know, man. Um, mm. So there's a, we, and this, this too is deeply, a, kind of a deeply Christian observation is we have the ability to view other people's sin, but there are a lot of kind of middle-class working, working class white Americans who look at all the problems out there, but yet they haven't worked in 10 years. <laughs> um, they're, they're abusing the disability system and they're on, they're on painkillers for their back or for their whatever. And, and really it's a deeper malaise. It's a kind of a, a meaninglessness and a purposelessness that they could be filled by getting up at 6 a.m. and going and doing something. Yeah, and this this movie is written by an effete coastal elite. <laughs> right. Um, from the perspective of an effete coastal elite. I mean, 
it's it's not just an elite because he lives on the coast and makes money. Like he writes for the New Yorker. Um, <laughs> uh, and and yet it it um it is an unvarnished look at at the complexities and the the warts of both sides of both red america and blue america um where yes. for 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 ben uh it is um like he uh it, it, his vacuousness is so clear from the beginning when yeah. when he's discussing like he's just drunk and possibly high at a party discussing things that aren't deep and pretend and thinking that they're really deep observations. He's pitching a podcast. That's kind of dumb. And, and that like, there are millions of podcasts kind of um, with this chin stroking that he's doing. Um, and uh, it's sympathetic towards red America, but shows the warts of red America. Yeah. Um, and uh, he, he, um, I forgot my train of thought, and it sounded like well, you had something to say. Okay, yeah, you know, like I want, I want to bring up one point that you and I talked about. That's really fun, um, and then we should. Uh, oh we wait, should I, I remembered. I remembered every time. Every time okay. I do this, every time I hand it over to you, I remember what I was going to say. Kirk, <laughs> like in this, this is like my emphasis on like this movie is so funny. The script is so good. Um, the the way that it kind of skewers um, B.J. Novak's character Ben um, is when he sits down with Ashton Kutcher. This. Um, I believe Harvard educated. One of them went to, either Ben Ben went to Yale, I think, and Ashton Kutcher's character Both went to Harvard, or vice versa. Which yeah. you know they they have this like faux humility about it of like you never say I went to Harvard or I went to Yale. I went to school in New Haven. Uh, yeah, I went to school in Boston. Yeah, that's that's how you say it. Um, where Ashton Kutcher points out to him, "You're a playlist guy." Kirk, what does that mean? Uh, that you don't actually listen to albums. Yeah. Right. Uh, and like a like you are just listening to what the computer recommends based on your favorites. Um, and you like like those favorites and maybe like them more, but like you're listening to a bunch of music that you have no idea who wrote it, who sings it. It's like the dating app for music. He points out. Yeah, that's fine. And then and then he's like, you're not hearing other people's voices. You're just hearing your voice get played back at you yeah and and we think about uh we talk about echo chambers mm -hmm. and charles murray has put together the um the quiz you can take to see if you live in a bubble like right. do you actually that's a great um, quiz by the way encounter people who are different from you or do you just um look at kind of avatars for them and are just like they're so stupid i just want to hear my own voice get played back at me that's yeah. all i want i don't want to actually live next to somebody who thinks differently than me because they're icky their thoughts are icky their lifestyle is icky and i disapprove of it and, and so that's where it's um like bj novak wrote this movie intentionally like wanting to write like a movie about the collision of of red and blue America yeah. um, without just being, and it's funny reading through some reviews, Kirk, um, there are a lot of like elite reviewers that didn't like this movie. For that they felt reason. Like, I think, yeah, I think they're just like, yeah, yeah. So this was, this was uh, a fun observation that you and I made um, that, 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 that rung true uh, when we saw it in the movie. Uh, at one point, the initial, the first dinner, when he shows up for dinner there, um, and it's grandma and it's ma and it's Kansas city. And it's, I forget the other one. 
and El Stupido, right? And and they're all they're all talking, and he's just kind of wide eyed, drinking it all in. And uh, and they ask him, so what 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 do you think of Texas? And he's like, oh, it's great. And they're like, have you seen it? <laughs> Texas sucks, man. You're you're, you're, from, you're from Brooklyn. How can you say that? That's insane. You live in the greatest city in the world. And he kind of looks around like, okay, so I have permission. And, and he says, what does he say? He says something really gently. You know, it's, it's you know, okay, fine. Like, I guess it's, it's kind of bleak. And, and then just, they pounce on him. What? Bleak? We, we love say- this place, man. How could you say that? How dare you say that? Which, Christopher, I mean, that is exactly... I mean, you and I just had the, the most rural of rural childhoods. And um, like rural America is hard. It is super hard. And there is nothing like the coolest store that you and I had growing up was a <laughs> was a Pomida seven miles away. And no one knows what the heck that is. And we would be so frustrated if we walked into that thing today. Right. Oh, yeah. um, I mean, we just had nothing within nothing within an hour of us. Right. Um, and 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 we and we kind of we kind of like knew it. Uh, we, I, we, I, I, when we would drive to Minneapolis to watch a twins game, I mean, we were just like faces against the glass, wide-eyed jaw agape, right. At, uh, um, at the wonders of modern urban life. Um, but if someone would have ever, ever dared to rip like our, our small town, we would have been like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. This is awesome because it's where we made our memories. And, um, and despite being hard, and not having a whole lot, it, it was home. And we just have this whole constellation of fun memories attached to it. So I, I love that scene. That scene rung so true. Uh, should we pivot to spoilers or did you want to kind of- No, no, I think we that? could say some other stuff. Uh, I think it's funny how, um, <laughs> like he, you know, <clears throat> the, the reality is that that uh, he doesn't know that much about America or history like he's probably you know read like critical theory or this or that but then like when it comes to it um they, they like he he just wants to get them recorded like on tape not yes. literally tape but like digitally but like right. he wants to get them on tape just say everything like tell me about Texas and and granny's like ooh let me tell you about Texas everything um let me tell you about the Alamo yeah how about he didn't like... know about the Alamo <laughs> was such starts... New York condescension she starts to tell about the Alamo about Santa Ana and seven thousand soldiers versus, like, okay. and he's like, "Let me guess, the Texans won." And they all look at him like, and he's "Like, can you do math? You it do was a math? massacre." <laughs> <laughs> like, are you an idiot? He <laughs> right, assumed that the scene. Alamo was this amazing victory for the Texans, but um, yeah, so so that was incredibly funny. That like, <laughs> that he's not smart. I want to say something else that like, I mean, I could spend all day, Kirk, talking about how funny the movie is, but. Um, one of the things that makes him, uh, I don't know how spoilery this is. Okay. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Pivot if you want to watch this movie, if you want to watch this movie, pause it and come back. To What's it on? Podcast. Pe- Peacock? I forget. I don't know. Maybe we'll throw in the show notes. On. Um, but one of the, one of the things that can helps convince him that it's a deeper conspiracy is his car explodes. Yes. And, um, He's greeted by uh, the brother of Abby, um, the one who convinced him to do this vengeance. And he's like, wow, I'm so glad you're okay. Imagine if you had a real car and not some <laughs> Prius, you know, like imagine if you had like gas and stuff, <laughs> which of course a Prius has gas. But like, again, pointing out the hilarious, like, yeah, okay. You didn't even have a real car. Like it, it was a very funny moment, Kurt. And 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 it's culturally true. Like 
all the men, all, all my colleagues, um, they can't wait until they can afford a real pickup. Like there mm. is something about like rural culture, like the Prius is not a real car. Like right. at some point you're going <laughs> to buy a truck, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's great. By the way, um, it is on Peacock if you have a Peacock okay. uh, subscription. And which and and uh, even if you don't like Peacock is like many streaming services, I th- believe still has like a free trial mm-hmm. you can get. Yeah, that's right. That's right. All right, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Um, so he there's a there's a there's a climax at the end that we that we I think we need to talk about mm. where she died. Abby died at something called the after party, which was, there's a common party. Everyone knows where it is. It's, it's by outside a certain oil field outside town. And then there's something called the after party where they, where they're kind of like maybe some harder drugs shooting off fireworks. It's just kind of a, like a party, but, uh, but, but cranked up to 11. Um, and that's where her body was found. So BJ Novak goes to the after party why am I calling BJ Novak? Ben. Uh, whatever. ben. Ben goes to the after party, and there he confronts um, uh, Ashton Kutcher. I don't remember Ashton his Kutcher. character's I don't name. remember his name. We'll just call him Ash- Ashton Kutcher's character. And this is where maybe kind of you can help me think through this because Ashton Kutcher has um this lengthy monologue. I'm not going to read all of it. I'm going to read a little bit of it. And this is where I think the movie is uh, it thinks it's about something that's profound and I don't think it's that profound. Um, so, so maybe mm. you can push back on that. Um, and, uh, and, and, and here's, here's the monologue. Here's, here's part of the monologue. Cause it's really long. Like for a movie, um, mm-hmm. the script writing has to be really tight. This isn't a show that can go like 10 episodes. You, they can run 10 hours. Like they got to keep it under two hours. So if the writers kept it, if it made the cut, it means they really think it matters. Right. So here's, here's what he said. Um, ask yourself, what part of the country today is it in certain people's interest to keep devastated, demoralized, dependent, and divided? You got the opioid crisis, nation in divide, civic unrest. Why are all these things happening at the same time? What do you really think is going on here? Told you I had a story for you. So what are you saying? That it all connects? That all the conspiracy theories are true? What I'm saying is people can sense the truth, but they're grasping for facts. See, a myth is just a truth without facts. That's why it comes out all abstract, gnarled, wrong, easy to dismiss and ridicule. Nobody listens to them because they don't have the facts, but I do. And you, Ben, the whole world will listen to you. Where were they going, Ben asks, after party. The after party? Tell me about that. I mean, people overdose 100 times a day, Ben. That's a fact. But they can't do it in a place where it's going to be a problem for people like you and I. Hmm? That's what happened to Abilene. Abilene? I mean, she died at a party like this. I thought you finished that story. Oh, this is just for us. Well, it's not a very good story anyway. Oh, she was a drug addict. She OD'd. Then she tried to call 911. Oh, in Texas, we don't call 911. Yeah, I heard that, Ben says. They record all those calls. We got to be very careful about what gets recorded. Yeah, you do. It's all that's left of us, the recordings. Um, and uh, and so, so, so here's the spoiler, right? Um, she died there in the after party. And Ashton Kutcher drags her body and that's the big reveal, um, is that it actually is just 
a drug overdose. Um, there was no conspiracy. Uh, there was no kind of deep state uh, anything. There, it was just a drug overdose, and um, and the family knew it. The family knew it. Yeah, that's an important detail too. Yeah. Yep. So, so it was, it was all a lie when everyone repeated to him, like she never took an, she never took an Advil. Um, none, of, none of that was real, but they wanted, wanted, wanted there to be some deeper meaning. Um, and so there's a showdown at the end between Ben and Ashton Kutcher that's where right. um, like Ben thinks he's got him nailed. Um, like he's recording and, and basically he gets the confession. Um, yes. And he's like, you know, pulls out that he's been recording him and Kutcher's kind of like, oh, oh, did you want me to, to say it again clearer? Like, did you get it the first time? And, and Ben's kind of confused. Like, what do you mean? Like, like I nailed um, you. Aren't you scared? And, yeah. And and uh, Ashley Kutcher points out the 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 sad truth that like nobody cares that everyone as as we've uh used this metaphor too many times but like everyone will like stroke their chins about it and the societal issues and and um who really is to blame is it ashton kutcher the one who not only sold her the drugs yeah um, also like um he didn't kill her was but it he, you you but, exploited her grieving family yeah. yeah who is the villain here and and and, and it like there's some truth to that that not that not that ben is the villain but that he has been exploiting the family yeah and for, then he for said, a in his career. And then they're going to blame the family. Oh, I hope they're ready for that. They'll blame the president. They'll blame the last president. And then they'll start in with the conspiracy theories, you know, and someone will refute the conspiracy theories. And then one side will make their version like their cause. And the other side will take the other side just to take the other side and on and on. And your story proves the defining truth of our time. Everything means everything. So nothing means anything. Yeah. And at that point, you can see Ben loses his temper. <laughs> right. Yeah. And Kirk, I mean, I, I think I think that's that's where this movie succeeds in that in that the simple tribalism um needs to be put away. And Kirk, uh, the Christian witness of the Imago Dei, the fact that like um both sides um the, it's not both sides like red and blue america but both ashton kutcher and ben were exploiting abby yeah mm -hmm. um the, neither saw her as a person and although ashton had some righteous words about like ben you've never heard her voice you've never actually listened to her that he was just using her for sex um and like he was using all these women um and uh using the grief of the family to get himself a podcast um, but it turns out, you know, Ashton Kutcher was using them all as well um, to profit, to build this giant ranch so that he could be like Phil Spector of the um, of West right. Texas. Right. And so, um, so I think like the answer is Jesus um, that that uh, like uh, uniquely we have in the scriptural witness um, that this uh, truth that all are made in the image of God and that God cares about each individual person by not because they've earned it, but by dint of them being made in the image of their creator. And that's a beautiful and powerful truth. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a, I want to talk briefly about the final exchange because I think the final and, and these words the writers put in grandma's mouth are, um, are I think more profound than, than Ashton Kutcher's monologue about um, nothing means anything because we're just tribal. 
Um, which I guess the as you're talking about this, you're you're talking me into it's um, it's it's real and it's a real point. So I, I grant you that. Um, but very last scene, very last scene. She is because his car blew up. Uh, grandma's driving him back to the airport, and you're gonna need a ride. That's true. My car is. Uh, what are your plans when you get back? He says, guess I have to find a new story. After all that, what about all that stuff with Abby? I think that story's just for us. Oh, that's nice. And then he says, no regrets. Huh. And yes. she says, I never understood that. No regrets. I mean, how do you? In my life, everything starts with a regret. Ends with a regret. In between, regrets. It's all regrets. You run as fast as you can from the last regret. And of course, you're just running straight into the next one. That's life. It's all regrets. That's what they should say. No other way to be alive. It's all regrets. Make them count. Now that is deep honesty about the yeah. human condition. In red America, in blue America, um, hookup culture or opioids, it's all regrets. And there is one who can cleanse us from all regrets mm. and make us new. Mm. And that would be good news to both Red America and Blue America. Amen. Boy, that's <laughs> not to make a two come two kumbaya, kumbaya um kind of uh, uh bow wrapping around it, but I think I think that I think I thought that was a really good point that the movie made. Yeah, like our culture tries to get absolution without confession. So our culture says no regrets apart from any sense of like um like we we Kirk, you and I cannot absolve ourselves. Right. Um and and we have tremendous regrets. Yeah. But only through Christ and his work on our behalf can we um even like uh you know continue forward. Being um, made without, clean can yeah. only begin with regret. Right. Yeah, confession. Absolutely. Every confession starts with being honest about where we sinned. Yeah. Otherwise, um, it's this false life. Uh, apart from the absolution that Christ gives us, uh, the, it's just this shallow life of of uh, claiming that we feel it. No regrets. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Christopher, should we end in prayer? Let's. The Lord be with you, and with your spirit. Let us pray. O God, our refuge and strength, true source of all godliness, graciously hear the devout prayers of your church and grant that those things which we ask faithfully we may obtain effectually through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. Next week, Kirk. Next week. Oh.